Welcome to the second installation of the Purim Podcast with the Foxpreneurs. This one is going to be uh, answering questions that have to do with the Suda, the meal on Purim. Would you like to read the questions? Sure. Question number one. Purim is a hard enough day as it is, but the fact that my husband is totally non-functional past 2 p.m. makes it totally impossible. 2 p.m., that's pretty good. <laughs> Lasted that long. Question number two. As with the questions on... Um, about Mishloach Manos, um, these are just representative of many different questions that we've received. Question number two. I know that men are supposed to get drunk on Purim, but my children don't understand this concept. Isn't it terrible chinuch for our children to watch the men of our community behave like this? Question number three. I don't hold my liquor well. I think this was asked by a man. How can I fulfill the mitzvah to get drunk? Question number four. Yeah, I'm sure he's happy that was anonymous. It seems that this holiday, even more than most, is centered around men and boys. Okay, this one was clearly asked by a woman. I feel that I am only aiding my husband's experience of the day. Okay, so those are the four questions. The first one, I mean, most of them actually are from the perspective of women um, who feel like the day is very difficult, their husbands are out to lunch, uh, getting drunk is a bad precedent, etc. Um, but let me just give a general perspective on the concept of drinking on Purim. It's a very unusual mitzvah. It's one that seems to be antithetical to a lot of what Judaism stands for, which is about maintaining presence of mind, maintaining uh, control uh, in, a, in a happy way, but control nonetheless. So, uh, you know, let's start... <coughs> um, the, um, the Seuda and the surrounding mitzvos, um, like becoming intoxicated, is a... You don't, it's recording, yeah? Okay. I think so. If not, we're going to have to do it all over again. Um, is it, it's a beautiful time, but it's also fraught with difficulties and, um, and pitfalls. So let's start with the Hasidic story. There's a, there's a beautiful story told um, by the Chedushe Harim, Yitzhak Meir Alter. Uh, he tells a story about a Jew back in Europe in the olden days who was once on his way to commit a sin, to do an aver. And he had with him, he took with him 500 ruble, I think, which I think is a sub- substantial sum. Maybe it's not, whatever. In those days it was. He took with him a substantial sum. That's the way I remember the story, 500 ruble. And he was walking through a town on his way to, to go to do something terrible. And he was crying. And he hears pleas for help in Yiddish, and he follows the crying, and he sees there's a little family. Uh, the family is, is in prison. And um, he went over to them and asked them what's going on, and they said they were, they were kicked out of their home because they couldn't afford to pay their rent. And he said, oh, that's terrible. His, his heart went out to them. He said, how much is your rent? And they said, well, it's 500 rubles. And he took his 500 rubles on the spot, and he gave it to their landlord, and, gave it, and they were released from debtor's prison, and they were very happy. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't proceed with his plans. And the Chlusharim says that was well-known at the time. That act of, of selflessness uh, shook the heavens. And there was a Shemayim. There was a decree, a positive decree passed that this person, you know, went so beyond himself that he was given the, the koach of bracha. He was given the ability to, 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 uh, to bring blessing to the world. But the heavenly court said, Sharim explained that uh, they were nervous. Maybe he was going to ask for something improper, like Mashiach at the, at the wrong time. 
with Chiyas Mason before the resurrection of the dead, before it was the right time. So therefore, there was a decree from heaven that this person should uh, become a drunkard. And he, and that's what happened. He became, he drunk himself silly. He was never lucid. And the story goes that the Baal Shem Tov knew about him. He knew about this, this wonderful tzaddik. And there, and there was a time when Kalei was in need of a Yeshua, <coughs> of a salvation. And, uh, and they found him, and they tried to get him to focus for a minute and offer a bracha, and he wouldn't. And finally, finally, they caught him right as he woke up, before he took a drink. drink. And, they, uh, and, and the Baal Shem Tov slipped in and, and got him to, 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 uh, to save his blessing and, and give, pro- provide Kalei Yisrael with, uh, with Yeshua's, with uh, salvation. So the Chedushim says that's the, the beautiful story, works on many levels. But one one aspect of it is that uh, this is the idea of the Sudas Purim. Um, it's a time which is ripe for spiritual growth and awakening, and yet often we're too distracted or literally drunk to really appreciate it. <coughs> and uh, really, we're all looking for those brief, lucid moments of clarity that can lead to Yeshua's, that can lead to salvations, uh, at the very least, a personal salvation, where we have that brief moment of, of clarity, we kind of lose ourselves in the moment and connect to the be- beautiful spiritual power that's contained within Purim. So, so that's a beautiful general story, one to think about, especially when you're slightly inebriated in Purim. Uh, but now let's move to the halacha part of it. So the first halacha in um, the halachas of Sudas Purim is mitzvah l'harbos b'sudas Purim. Of course, it's a mitzvah to um, increase in Sudas Purim. And, um, but it says that, the Ramah says, one meal is enough. And it's not clear if you need bread, although you should. It's not clear if you need meat. The Rabbam definitely says you should, but not entirely clear l'halacha. But the very next halacha is clear. The Shulchan Aruch says conclusively, it's a song that we all know, It means a person should, a, a person, a man should get drunk on Purim until he does know the difference between uh, Baruch Mordechai and Haman. Which means? Blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. We'll get to what that means in a second. So let's just give some, it's a very interesting background. To this and you can tell me when I'm talking too much, but the uh, <coughs> the Gemara tells uh, a story right after recording this halacha. The um, the Gemara says in Megillah on Daf Zion, um, it says, Rava says that quote that a person is obligated to become intoxicated on Purim, and then uh, the very next line it says Rabba and Rabbi Zera were having a Sudas Purim together. They had their meal together. Um, they became drunk. The Gemara says, Come, Rabbah Shachti It's a famous, famous story. Rabbah uh, got up and literally what it means is he shechted, he, he killed Rabbi Zera. There are those who explain what that means is he got him so drunk it was dangerous for him. But the classic explanation, the Pashub uh, Shat, is that he actually killed him. And, um, and afterwards, um, he prayed uh, it was a miraculous recovery, and uh, he came back to life. Then the Gemara says, the very next year, um, 
they, you know, they talked about having the Suda together. Rabbi Zera, uh, Rabbi said, hey, you want to have the Suda together? Rabbi Zera, no, I don't think so. Uh, it doesn't happen, you know, that type of, in, that type of miraculous occurrence doesn't happen all the time, and therefore he declined. So from this story, first you have the statement of Rabbi that one is obligated to become drunk, and then you have the story of Rabbi and Rabbi Zera that, uh, you know, that there was a very dangerous incident, and the next year he didn't want to have the Suda anymore. So from this, the tour and the Shulchan Aruch Paskin, like Rava, one should become intoxicated on Purim. And there's a Rebbeinu Ephraim, quoted in the Ran, another uh, Rishon, who says just the opposite. Look what happened. Look what happened. You know, they, they got drunk, they had their Suda's Purim, and there was a terrible outcome. So we actually should not become intoxicated on Purim. And the Bach says, well, no, if you flip around, just the opposite. Why was it that Rabbi Zeir was nervous the next year if it was if there was no obligation. So you can go both ways with the story, um, and you have the differences of opinion in the Rishonim as to how to, uh, how to pass and what the halacha is. So, the, as I said before, the Shulchan Aruch says a person has a chiyuv to become drunk on Purim. The Ramah says, that's Ashkenazi halacha, says a person should drink a little more than usual and go to sleep. This comes from the Rambam. The, the idea is that when a person is sleeping, he doesn't know the difference between Baruch Mordechai and Ar Haman because he's asleep. He's unconscious. And Mishaburah seems to say that's the preferred method. And others um, say, and this certainly seems to be the minig, the accepted uh, custom in Klaisel, is to become intoxicated. But all sources indicate that the drunkenness that we're talking about is not about totally losing oneself and going crazy with lampshades on the head or whatever else. It, the the Orchas Chaim quoted in the Beis Yosef actually says, Ein lecha avera gadola mizu. There is no greater sin than totally lo- losing oneself, becoming totally intoxicated, and not only that, but it leads to all sorts of terrible things. Uh, ter- terrible things. So the Mishaburah cautions us also not to miss out on any of the mitzvahs of the day, making, uh, missing brachos, not washing hands properly, not benching properly, not davening properly. Those are all things that are outside of the pale of the obligation. That's, you know, that means it's gone too far. So until when? How far is the obligation according to the Shulchan Aruch? Um, you know, there are dozens of explanations as to what it means to not know this difference between Aror Haman and Baruch Mordechai. Uh, actually, the gematria, the numerical value of both those statements are equal. Those who say until you can't make the cheshman, you, can you can't calculate properly. That's that means uh, that's that's what you're, that's how far you're supposed to to get in your lack of uh, of sobriety. Um, but there are several achronim who say they all give the same explanation, even though they came from different places. They didn't see each other. They all were, as they say, nisnamdu besignon echa. They all had the same like vision, and that was that a person actually should not get to the point of adul yada. Meaning, once he's at Adalayada, I'm just using the shorthand of the concept of getting so drunk that you can't tell the difference between Mordechai and Haman. Once you get to that point, then you're no longer chayev. You're no longer obligated. Because the idea of the mitzvah is not to get smashed. <laughs> the idea uh, of the mitzvah is, um, you know, libsume, the word bisume, Rav Baruch Mezhebush, and others say that it comes from Bissamin, right? Every night, Abdullah, we just, a long time ago, actually, 
<laughs> made up, it's kind of late on Matzah Shabbos. Um, we made Havdalah with Bissamen. Bissamen is fragrant. And so the drunkenness is supposed to have a sweetness, a fragrance, a, a spiritual dro- joy that be, you become fragrant with. It becomes, it becomes, it stays with you. It's pleasant. Um, it's an expression of simcha shal mitzvah, of, of, of the happiness that's latent in uh, spiritual things. Um, and that you can't get to if you're totally out of control. So once you're totally out of control, then you're, you're not performing the mitzvah properly, and that's really not the way to go. Um, so the beauty of the day is to remember that we can lose a little bit of control, we lose a little bit of our inhibitions, not control, we lose our inhibitions, which allows us to uh, tap into the spiritual power of the day and to remember that we are actually not in control. It's really Hashem is in control. And that's the, uh, that's the idea of getting drunk on Purim. So back to that specific question of the unidentified person who doesn't hold his liquor well. So, I mean, halakhically, there's a, the Rama and the Mishabura both say, so drink a little more than you used to and take a nap. And you've definitely fulfilled the obligation. Okay. Let's not deal with the other one because they're from the woman's perspective. Um, I think it's important to keep in mind the general approach to drinking and the fact that it is a, a custom that is very prevalent in amongst the Jewish people. And if we can understand what's behind it, to try not to belittle it in our own minds and not to others. Um, at the same time, recognizing the restrictions that it not get out of hand. Um, I can speak from a woman's perspective, having watched many men get drunk and in Yerushalayim, where we lived for many years, there are a lot of drunk men on Purim, um, that it was one of my favorite days of the year. And seeing people who have a certain perspective on life and live life in an elevated fashion, um, you behave in a way that, again, is less inhibited and purposely so, um, gives you a perspective in terms of who they are in the deepest sense. And that was something that I gained tremendously from and looked forward to every year. And um, that really affects the next point, which is the point about children, which I think is an extremely important point that I have heard multiple times, especially since I've gotten to America every year. And that is, this seems so antithetical to what we should be teaching our children. How can we have a holiday on which men seem to lose control, not be able to control or limit their alcohol intake? And are we teaching our children that men are just supposed to get drunk, abuse alcohol? With what goes on in the world today, this is a very dangerous message. And um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and probably make some people angry by saying, no, that no child is will learn a bad, an overall bad habit to learn from life, from the experience of one day by watching their father get drunk one day. If anything, I believe it's the exact opposite. I'm not that angry a child, That a child who watches their father behave <coughs> responsibly and controlled, and I'm perfectly he should be here responsibly also, but behave in a, you know, when it comes especially toward alcohol, to to consume it in a limited 
an extremely responsible fashion. 300 and... Um, 43 days a year, because we're talking about the Hebrew calendar. So, right? And, um, sorry, 353 days a year. And and one day a year, he chooses to get drunk. I think that that teaches them the exact opposite message, which is, no, we don't get drunk and we don't drink too much for no reason and every day of the year and just when we feel like the opposite. From the fact that I see that my father gets drunk once a year and he behaves in a less inhibited fashion once a year, I learn that that's not the way that we behave every day and that I can behave that way when it's for a reason. And I do not believe that seeing the men in the neighborhood, even if there are some people who behave irresponsibly, which is not okay, do that once a year will lead to a child having unhealthy views on how to drink and how we approach alcohol in general. So that's with regard to the children. Their attitude with regard to Purim, with regard to drinking on Purim, will come from you. And that's why we have to be very careful in terms of what we say and our overall approach. And so then the question becomes, well, what should our approach be? And I think that we really have to think to ourselves, if there is negativity, and for a lot of women there is not, But if there is negativity, where is the negativity coming from? Meaning, is this a chronic issue? Is this something that I get upset about a lot when my husband drinks too much? If not, so if he wants to drink today and there is a a reason to do so, so then it's just about practical planning. And again, I know I mentioned this during the first mini podcast, but planning goes a long way. And... If my approach to drinking generally in, on Parm is that it's okay and that this is a place that it is appropriate, then we need to plan beforehand. The fact is, is that I need to get my children home from Shul, from the Suda, from wherever we are. So let's think before Parm, instead of just getting angry on the spot, what time do I have to be home by and can I get them home by myself? Or what time do we have to be at the Suda by and can we be at the Suda by ourselves? And if your attitude is not... I hate Purim and I hate when you get drunk. It, it shouldn't be that hard to make those plans practically. And if this is a chronic issue and the reason that there really is so much negativity surrounding Purim is because you're not happy with your husband's approach to alcohol in general, then this is probably not the day to bring it to a head. This is probably not the day to deal with it because of all, because everyone's getting drunk on Purim. And with the fact that you have so much negativity attached to the day, then this would be something that you want to deal with, let's say, in Cheshvan. (laughs) Months before, when there is something to talk about, but when you already have that built-in negativity and attitude toward the day, it's not going to be a practical time to bring it up. So we really have to be introspective and think to ourselves, why is it that we have negativity and what's the best way and what's the best way to deal with it? Let me, add, let me add one point to the husbands. Go for it. Um, so you, my wife mentioned before uh, planning practically and you know wives uh, considering the possibility of going home from the program suitor without their husbands. So just a note to the husbands. It doesn't have to be that way. You, you don't have to have... Uh, it, you can also be planned, you husbands, guys. 
um, you know, it, there is a certain mode you, you can get into where you're, you know, so far, uh, let's say, into the Purim spirit that you, you, you don't or pretend that you don't have the ability to figure out, you know, what time it is and what your responsibilities are. But there's a far distance between the first few drinks and the last few drinks where you're at the point where you can't behave, uh, I don't mean behave well, I mean responsibly to help your wife. So if you know that your wife and your kids are, are counting on you to get them home safely, so then that's also part of your responsibility. It's not a day to f- f- cast off any shackles of responsibility and just have a good time, even though having a good time is an integral and important part of the day. Um, it, you know, there's a reasonable middle ground uh, where you can fulfill the mitzvahs, you can enjoy, you can enjoy with your friends, you can drink more than usual, and at the same time, still catch Meyer and bring your family home responsibly. So even though the premise of the question seemed to be like, oh, well, you know, husbands are off the hook, I don't think it has to be the case. Okay. Except for me. When I speak about um, these approaches in terms of people getting drunk, um, I just want to make it clear, I am not speaking about any situation in which there is an actual addiction involved. That obviously needs to be dealt with by itself. Um, obviously, someone who has an issue with addiction, specifically in this area, or maybe even in other areas, which unfortunately, as we know, is a problem in any and all communities, um, they should be able to stay away from these um, tempting situations completely. And a person should never feel that they are affecting their family negatively when it comes to these things, because like in any other situation, um, families need to adjust. And if someone had a physical disease, then there would be accommodations made for them. And we would expect as a family to support them and to put them in an environment that is comfortable for them. And that would obviously not be an environment in which everyone is partaking of something that they cannot. And that really goes on the other side from the community as well, that we have to be sensitive and recognize that if someone is not where we expect them to be, that we don't ask and we don't pressure and that people have their reasons for doing things. And especially when it comes to something that can be of sensitive nature, and this is obviously of sensitive nature, that we are supportive and not intrusive. Um, But back to the more practical and mundane considerations when it comes to women and their husbands who might not be able to drive right that second. (laughs) This also is an element of planning, like we discussed in the Mishloch Manos podcast before. Planning really goes a very long way. And this works amazingly well with kids also, just in terms of making them prepared for what the day is going to be like. First, we're going to do this. Then we're going to do that. First, we're going to go here and Megillah. Then we're going to go to these people's house. Then we're going to go to someone else's house. Then we're going to deliver Shalak Maros. Then is the Suda and the Suda is here, etc. It really helps kids go with the flow. Um, it helps husband and wife as well to say, okay, these are the things that we need to do on Parim. Let's plan this out. And um, if you have a schedule and the two of you are deciding together, then I think this also goes a long way in terms of that last question about feeling Purim is only for men and boys. 
because part of that plan must be when is mommy's time or it doesn't have to be mommy when is the wife's time when is the woman's time to focus on something that will connect her to Purim and that she feels that she took advantage of the day some women connect naturally some women like to watch um, you know the mayhem that goes on some people feel connected through the suda and some people can find that time by themselves but it really needs to be part of the plan um, when we were in Israel um, the young girls who you would feel really feel like they didn't even have kind of the children or the husbands to connect through they would be the ones who really felt left out from what I saw and from the girls that I knew just loved Purim and the way that they connected and this doesn't have to be the way everyone connects the way that they connected was through tefillah as my husband mentioned it is considered by many to be one of the most auspicious day when it comes to prayer and um, girls in Israel got really into that and they would wake up very early in the morning and the buses to the Kotel would be packed with teenage girls going to Davin. That doesn't have to be your only way to connect. Purim has so many aspects to it and in this way it's a little bit of a shame that it's only two and a half days before Purim because this really requires planning. But just try to connect to one aspect of the day. The concept of finding Hashem where he's hidden. Hashkach um, You know that Hashem is in charge of every little thing. Um, appreciating and trusting Torah scholars, the concept of um, that physical or external beauty is fleeting <coughs> and it's the internal beauty that matters. For a woman to be able to connect to one internal thing about herself that she appreciates or wants to develop on Purim changes your perspective and your connection to the day. And there needs to be time given for that on Purim, just like there's time to hand out Mishlach Manos, just like there's time to hear, well, I guess that's a mitzvah, but just like we make time for the Suda and we make time, as I mentioned before, which I think is valuable for a man to be able to do what is a man of Yisrael and get drunk, etc. A woman needs to be able to do what her avoda is on Purim also, and that should be planned into the day. And when there is that union and that feeling that we are doing this as together that really affects the entire day and how we feel about it and we can take that thing that we're connecting to especially and individually and feel more spiritually and happily connected to the entire day sounds good sounds like a plan okay so okay. we're going to wrap up this <coughs> podcast and we will see you in the next one the last one which is going to be talking about the mitzvah listening to Megillah, see you in the Megillah.